This is the Kavnis HR Podcast, and we want you to be great every day. Join us as we transform the human resources outsourcing industry while we talk to small business owners, founders, and people in tech, startup, and HR spaces. Now, please welcome your host, Jason Kavnis. Hello, and welcome to the Cabinets HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cabinets. Our guest today is Bruce Bajorkalina. Are you ready to be great today? Heck yeah. Bruce is a senior software architect, entrepreneur, a U.S. Army veteran, having moved to the Pacific Northwest after a sudden military career sickness. And like a stroke of luck, Bruce got his foot in the door of the video game industry at Gas Power Games as an entry-level production assistant. Upon teaching himself how to code in his spare time, Bruce was taken under the ring of then-CEO Chris Taylor, where he is put in charge of his research and development projects. He then continued to build games and prototypes for companies like Disney, Microsoft, and Wargaming, where his beloved gaming studio suddenly lost all contra- contracts. Bruce was selected to stay behind to run a Kickstarter to save the company, but was ultimately brought out by Wargaming before the conclusion of the campaign. Ready to move on to the next challenge, Bruce quit his his dream job to chase another dream, starting his own business. However, after crafting his first startup within the first year and battling personal life issues, Bruce found himself living out of his Mini Cooper with his wife and French Bulldog. He immediately pivoted and landed himself in enterprise consulting while quickly becoming the go-to consultant for all all high-profile contracts, assisting companies like Microsoft, Disney, and Concord. Bruce's mentor, Steven Anderson, broke off to start yet another company, Sirius 7, where Bruce left Disney Interactive to take ownership of building an Internet of Things platform from the ground up, Elevate IoT. Bruce quickly earned the title of Chief Architect for Elevate, where he has placed a critical where he played a critical role in architecting, designing, and building a next generation Internet of Things platform that successfully raised a Series A and was a driving force for over three million dollars in revenue. This entire time, Bruce was also driving, was, while Bruce was driving successful clients, he was also building his next startup, Hikes Incorporated, a next-generation agricultural logistics and traceability system that is planned to be released later this year. Bruce, you're one busy man. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a statement. <laughs> that's for sure. So what's going on with the, in the life of Bruce right now? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, I'm involved in three different startups right now. Basically, one of them is, um, you know, kind of a boutique engineering firm that also is incubating a lot of small startups and internal projects. So I kind of bounce around and provide senior ownership of that. And then at the same time, we're consulting out to the startup Elevate IoT, where our owner, Stephen Anderson, is also the CTO and owns equity in that. And so I'm the chief architect there and I run all the things and kind of own the technology stack there. And then, of course, the other side, I have my own startup, um, Hisis Incorporated, that I've been working on for about three years. And it's, um, it's starting to, to really get some momentum. You know, we have a team of almost seven people now. Um, and we're getting released, you know, later this year. So it's getting kind of intense. <laughs> the, the final polish is a lot of work. So... So, Bruce, how do you manage your time? Like, three week starts, do you have your monitor like, I'm going to spend this percent on this place, this percent in this place, or you just play to our ear? How does that usually work out for you? You know, I've kind of, it's a system that, you know, I kind of wave between super strict where I'm like, okay, here's my task. I'm going to focus on this and these, these block times. And then at other times, it's kind of like just grabbing and trying to stay busy, you know, with most of my time. I just, generally what I do is I have a notebook. I just write all my, all my tasks I'm going to do in a day. And then I try not to go to bed until... Most things are checked off. And then the next day I start a new sheet of paper and roll over anything that I didn't get done. So it's, it's a chaotic system, but it actually works really well. It's just a matter of not 
losing time to things like video games and stuff that doesn't really matter. So it's yeah. a lot of time optimization. So Bruce, I'm sure you look at a lot of tech talent. How do you figure out if the tech talent you're with is good or bad, or how do you go about doing that? How do you um, determine that? Yeah, so we're way different with hiring technical talent. You know, most shops you'll go in, they'll do a whiteboarding session, they'll drill you, try to see how well you've memorized computer science. And so we kind of take, I take a little bit of different approach. I only hire or we only bring in people from within our network. So you have to usually work with someone or have been referenced by someone. And we focus more on personality. You know, we want to know if someone's coming in the door, if they don't know it, are they going to go chase the answer and find the answer and learn it? And we've actually hired, you know, quite a few veterans. I think we're up to four veterans we've hired this last year that have come out of boot camps and stuff like that. And, you know, we find the right personality and they just chase the dream and they make magic happen. And that's, those are the type of personalities we go for. People freak out when they go to one of our interviews and we don't do a whiteboard session at all. <laughs> have you found a difference between the coding academies and we'll say like a four-year college degree? Oh yeah. I mean, there's a big difference between, you know, the guys that come out depending on which track they go. You know, generally I would say the college kids come out with super strong, they're super strong in algorithms. You know, they can drop those on a dime, but they actually, they lack the, the practical knowledge of being able to build within modern tech stacks, specifically in things like Node and Angular um, there's a massive ramp up on teaching them like best practices and building real applications. Conversely, you know, the, the guys that come out of the boot camps are really good with the best practices because that's all they really teach there. And they're able to get up going pretty quick and they're able to do a lot of that lower level stuff around, you know, front end development and, and middleweight, what I call middleweight back end work. But they really stumble when it gets to the heavy lifting algorithms and not always, but generally, you know, when you start getting into more complex systems that you kind of need a little bit of a computer science exposure or background, that's when they, you know, they got to go Google or seek mentorship from the, the guys that have that. Kind of what I've seen the last couple of years. When a developer starts working for you, how long did you take you to, to, to figure, okay, this guy's going to make it, he has what it miss, or you know what, I need to train this guy up some more. He's not as good as I thought he was. <laughs> yeah, we've got to, I've actually, you know, because of our process of not <laughs> doing whiteboard interviews, that's uh, usually within a month. I would say, you know, people make it or break it within 60 to 90 days of being hired, you know, because when you're in a, in a culture like what we've developed of, you know, no micromanagement, hands off, work from home, show up when you want, work where you want, deliverable-based meritocracy. Some people just don't don't thrive in that environment, and they burn out pretty quick. It's amazing how many people say that when that, that when when truth comes down, it's like, oh wow, th this is what I thought it was going to be. I can't I can't handle this. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I'm talking about PhD and senior developers that try and come into this culture, and they just you know miss dates and stuff like that. And whereas our you know junior devs coming out of boot camps, especially the veterans, I mean, they're just they thrive. I mean, they just go. So it yeah, it's it's interesting. That's for sure. <laughs> So th there's a lot of startups being started by non-tech people like myself. Yeah. What advice you'd have for people like me who really have no tech, tech talent on how to look for it and how to find it? So, you know, kind of going back to that reference thing, you know, generally it's scary, right? Because you got to find someone you're going to trust, you know, all of your time and your product and your vision in someone. And not only do they need to carry that, but they have to do the right thing and think about a lot of things about, you know, tech debt and impact to timelines and stuff like that. So it's, it's really about finding someone who has the experience and not just like the resume experience, but, you know, do they actually have the chops of, of doing the work? Because, you know, it's weird how, how many uh, people I've seen with senior backgrounds that, you know, when it comes to architecting an app or a product, I mean, they just, they don't think about the big picture. So, it, you know, I would, I would ask for, you know, 
talk through on how they would actually implement it, how they'd manage timeline. You know, it, it's a when you're owning a product, it's not as much technical as you think. Of course, you want the guy to be super, super technical. So like, like for you, if you bring in on a CTO, you want to know that guy's going to be able to review people's code and make sure good code's going out the door. And that's that can be really scary sometimes. So I don't know what it's like to be a non-technical guy, you know, to be honest with you, trying to find a technical guy. You know, it's kind of funny because we one of the partners in my day job, Mike Green, he's non I would say he's not non-technical, but he doesn't write code. He's a data guy. And he's out interviewing and bringing in engineers. And somehow that guy's figured it out. So he, he brings good people in. And, you know, it, it's just genuine conversation. You know, you, you can pluck out from people, you know, after a few conversations, if they're genuine or legit or not. And then, like I said, with, you know, you kind of have to take your chance with someone because it's all about trust. And you know, within, you know, that first deliverable, deliverable or two, if that person's going to make it or break it. Well, that's a good problem. How did you solve it? <laughs> I'm just just got there networking, talking to people, you know, getting the right feel, you know, just and just yeah. gotta, you know, keep on putting yourself out there and telling your story. And, and you know, I got lucky, you know. So I remember when we were talking you a few months back. You were looking for that guy, but it sounds yeah. like you got him. So next question: Let's suppose uh, somebody's watching this podcast. He's a software developer. He or she's a software developer. They're knowing your network, but like, you know what? I want to work for Bruce. What would that person have to do to get your attention? So that's a really good question. I love cold call door knock. Hey, I know you don't know me, but I want to work for you or I want to work on your product and I'm going to come in and I'm going to kick ass. I had this veteran that I randomly add on LinkedIn and he sent me a DM and he was like, Hey, you know, I'm trying to learn to code and I can't get interns anywhere. I will, I will do whatever it takes. And I was like, dude, yeah, let's meet up. So I actually met up with him for coffee this morning and uh, he's going to be an intern on, on, on my side project. And that's actually how I got my foot in the door. After I got out of the military, I ended up, you know, I was a lost little puppy and I just sent out, you know, really powerful, I wouldn't say powerful, but I really sold myself in cover letters to every video game studio in Seattle, to every executive, to the HR group. I mean, I just blasted them with, you know, but personal, like, you know, I actually took the time to research and, and I put a lot of effort into it. I got the call back from the VP of engineering and he gave me an entry level job. I don't, I don't think people really realize how, business is just people working with each other. And, you know, you just send your resume. I, I'm going to, I'm not, I don't care about your resume, <laughs> you know? So it's like, you know, I don't know how many times I've seen junior devs or, or even senior devs, they just send a resume. And, you know, I, I would rather work with someone that's going to take the effort to tell me a little bit about themselves and how they want to be a part of it. Then here's my resume, you know? I want to, I want to work. Cause you know, that guy's going to be hungry. He's going to do his best for you, the best he can, you know? So yeah, exactly. Plus the, the passion and the camaraderie that comes with that kind of personality is worth its weight, way more than someone who's just like showing up, you know? Yes. So what's the name of your startup again? Oh, it's, it's Heises Incorporated. So what's the vision for that? Yeah. So it's, um, it's pretty big. So I'll try and boil it down. I sh I'm the CEO. I should be able to say it right off the top of my head. But basically what we're trying to solve is building a next generation logistics platform that helps farmers and I should say the entire supply chain of agriculture being able to track everything, all the tasks they have to do, all the work they have to do, collecting all that data and creating a single vision so managers and, and stakeholders can actually make decisions based off of information. We're, we're particularly targeting the cannabis industry because of how hot it is right now and the, um, the monetization opportunity there. But in, in general, in agriculture across the board, labor is managed through whiteboards, verbal communication, text messages. And we're starting to see some more real-time you know, IOT stuff, but it's still really immature or isn't really a platform for managing your labor in real time. So that's kind of what we're solving. And that's kind of the crawl stage is 
you know, we built this system that basically tracks what all your labor is doing in real time. They have their cell phone around and they can track what they're doing and management can issue tasks. But then we're, we're going to be migrating into the, um, you know, kind of the into the walk and run stage. And that's when we're going to start doing Internet of Things, you know, hooking up all the hardware. And, and um, my big target is door growth specifically, you know, for managing all the equipment that's in there. And hopefully being able to create a turnkey solution where everything's automated. So I'm sure you talked to a lot of potential customers. How have they been to the idea? Are they like, you know, oh, well, we're used to doing things our own way or have they been open to the new technology or how have you, have you been going about that? So I've, I, I pitched to a business type of some kind in our market, you know, ranging from a farm all the way to a bakery, you know, that uses the product that comes from farm to make things. And I mean, the feedback we're getting back is incredible. I mean, we, uh, we, we demoed to a bakery last week and they just hand down, hand down said, there's nothing like this in the market. We're going to roll with you the second you go live. When are you going to be live? And that's kind of been the tone with everyone we've shown the product to. We've been in stealth mode for three years. So we've only shown about a dozen entities now, ranging from you know, your classic small hippie farm to you know, your middle-sized, multi-million dollar, 100-person company to you know, the full-on enterprise, like you know, huge Walmart-sized indoor grows. And every single person's eyes is, eyes kind of go big when we not only show the vision, but when we show the product. Because we, we didn't just do... Now, I come from the video game industry, right? So most of the competition, most of the other software providers in there kind of build a mini Excel sheet for you. And you can imagine, you know, I'm going to paraphrase, but you hire 20 stoners off the street, you throw them at this Excel sheet, you know, to try and track logistics and it turns into... Uh, it doesn't work. <laughs> I'll just put it like that. They, they pick one guy and that one guy manages the system. But I built this from a video game perspective where it's very visual, it's very fluid, and people aren't intimidated by using it. So that's kind of our, you know, our approach and a little bit of a niche compared to most everyone else. Well, so you bring up a great point. I think you said you've been working this for three years, right? Yeah. It's amazing how many people out there who, are like, who think, you know, oh, I'll be overnight success and, you know, I'll start it today and tomorrow I'll be worth a billion dollars. I, yeah. I think it's lost in the narrative how long this process really takes. It's not, you know, um, overnight success for anyone. You know, I think what no. Steve Jobs took eight years. It's, it's a long process. A lot of people don't and, realize that. And then they make it an overnight success. They make it sound like an overnight success, right? But yeah, when I first started my startup, I thought exactly that. You know, six months later, I'm going to be a millionaire. <laughs> Crash that one. When I started this one, I was like, okay, in a year. And a year went by and I was like, oh shit, I need to rewrite all my code. I learned things from my customers. They don't like the approach I did. And then two years goes by and I'm like, oh man, I have something, but now I need to drop 30 grand on branding and design. And then we showed that to customers and they went, this is amazing, but now we want compliance. We want this integrated with the state compliance system and we won't pay for it until that because I'm already paying for that system. So then it's like, okay, all right, let's go build compliance. And now we're almost done with that. So it's, um, and you know, because we listened to customers and we pivoted every time, customers said, this is what we need. I think we, you know, three years of hard work and whether we get, you know, we, we make it or break it, I'm, I'm proud of the work we've done. So that's great. Bruce, can you talk about time you were successful in the past, what you learned from this, what we can learn from your success? I guess the uh, kind of, you know, reach recently, um, one of the big successes is um, I was building an IOT platform for, I'm going to just say an undisclosed Fortune 200. And they, they, we were building this thing and their technology provider just wasn't ready for us. So we went ahead and, and built the solution to work without them. And then, you know, of course, stakeholders come down. They're like, oh, we got to make this work. So we basically threw a Hail Mary grinding around the clock all last fall. 
And we were able to make magic happen and we shipped this product and you know everyone was super happy and you know customers came back and signed in a whole another year of contract even though it wasn't our our fault you know con- you know things were delayed and stuff like that. Really what I'm trying to say from that success is you know sometimes you just have to put your shoulder into hard work and you know magic happens when when you actually work hard for people and you're not just focused on the money you're just focused on doing the right thing. You know, it's incredible what doing the right thing can do. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Next, talk about time you failed, what you learned from this failure, and what we can learn from this. Yeah, you know, so I've kind of, I was pondering that question a bit. You know, I I was, I was wondering, you know, do I go super hardcore? Do I keep it kind of light and, 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 uh, and happy? But, you know, I think I'm just going to drop the bomb. You know, I was in the military after my tour in Iraq as a medic. Um, I competed and won a green to gold scholarship. And I ended up in ROTC as an NCO and I started having health issues and I didn't manage that well at all. I mean, I went to the bottle, started drinking, doing the classic, I should say classic, but not making good choices. And then next thing you know, you know, the VA is throwing me on a dozen pills, you know, for PTSD. And I wasn't communicating with my command very well on what was going on because I was afraid I was going to get the boot. And I, I just wasn't taking care of my health. And, you know, I ended up losing my career because of it. I ended up getting, getting the boot for a, uh, I ended up checking myself in for suicidal thoughts and I got kicked out for, you know, unbecoming of an officer for suicidal thoughts. And it was devastating. Absolutely. The, I love the military. I love the career. I was going to go life and, you know, it was completely ripped away from me. And, you know, I was really salty for two years. I blamed the military, blamed the command, you know, all that classic, you know, victimizing stuff. And then, you know, after I started to leave from that, you know, that phase, I was like, you know what? I was the one that stumbled. I wasn't the one, you know, taking the initiative and going to sec- other doctors to get second, you know, second opinions. I wasn't the one, you know, being aggressive, talking to my command, like I'm not in a good spot. You know, I could have talked to them well before I checked myself in for suicide. I waited to the last moment. So I kind of picked up this phrase, you know, wait to the last responsible moment <laughs> from this whole, this whole, uh, that whole ordeal. You know, I, I think the big takeaway from that is, you know, if you're not doing good or you're not performing well, you know, take a step back and reevaluate evaluate things and don't just try to ignore it, you know, because things aren't just going to fix themselves. You know, what I really learned from that, because then after after the whole ordeal with the military went, you know, I was like, you know what, F this, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to get back at it. And next thing I know, I'm a software engineer and then I'm an architect and I'm working for big companies like Microsoft and I'm getting my voodoo back and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm killing it. And what it really came down to is success is on the other side of work. And, you know, I didn't put in the work to take care of my health when I was in the military or at the, during the end of that, that part of ROTC. Not, not everything was, you know, in my control, but I could have done a lot more. Yes, that's um, a great story, Bruce. Yeah, thanks. Bruce, next, talk about someone who has helped in the past and how they helped you. Oh, man. So after the military, I got kicked out. I was in, I went to, I was like, uh, I'm going to go back to school because I don't really have anything to go, anything going on. So I was in school and I wasn't doing well. And I was really struggling going through the, you know, the VA treatment program. And this freaking, uh, this guy there, he was a drill sergeant, you know, I think it was, he was a CAV guy, you know, he's retired and uh, he kind of took me under his wing and he's like, Bruce, you know, you can do something about this, right? <laughs> you know, you don't have to have your dog tags hanging in the mud, you know, the kind of phrase from the military. And he kind of picked me up by my bootstraps and he's like, March in that direction, man, you're going to be fine. Basically, what happened was is the PLU, when I got kicked out, they double fined me for or the college I was going to, Pacific Lutheran, they double fined me for my tuition. All these bad things happened. I was going to lose school. I ended up wrote this 20-page paper to my Congress and senators and to the, all the bosses at the school. I ended up getting this big meeting and they resolved everything. They wiped away 
you know, the debt, they were like, come back to school. And, you know, Mike Farnham, he's now in charge of the veteran outreach program at the school because the school realized, oh, we have veterans that are having issues and our school isn't handling their unique problems. So they stood up an entire division for taking care of vets. And the guy that, you know, kind of shepherded me through writing that paper to, to my Congress woman, I should say, and senators, he's now in charge of that program. And I mean, he just, he, he put me on the right path, you know, just, um, just by reaching out and saying, Hey, I'm not doing good, you know, kind of being a little vulnerable, you know, he did his drill sergeant thing and he got me, he got me straightened away. I owe, I owe that man, you know, all my success almost, you know, for, and, and at the time you're open to receiving the help. That's a good thing too. Yeah. You know, not being afraid of being vulnerable. And I think, you know, a lot of us from military background, I think American society in general. We're afraid of being vulnerable and opening up. Bruce, next, tell us something about you that most people don't know. Of course, your close family, close friends know this, but people that know you like day-to-day life don't know this about you. I don't know. I kind of played around with this one in my head a little bit, but this was my, when I was in the army, I was petrified of letting anybody know this. Like I didn't let anybody know. And even today, I still haven't let a lot of people know. So I'll probably get a lot of crap for this. After high school, I went to college and I, you know, I played football to state every year. I thought I was a little stud. I'm 5'8". I'm not very big college humbled me. And my best friend went and became a cheerleader at the University of Utah. He's like, man, you got to come do this. This is, this is a blast. You're just throwing girls all day and you work out a ton. It's amazing. So I did it and I got in and I was a cheerleader at the University of Utah <laughs> on the football field, tossing girls around, doing the whole dance and, and pony show. And you know, I never really told anybody, but in retrospect, it was one of the funnest times of my life. Wow, that's, that's a great story. Next, Bruce, I understand you have a book for, to recommend for our listeners. You know, this, I probably get made fun of for the other developers and entrepreneurs listening on, but I love the book Rework um, by 37 Signals. It's a little esoteric in nature, but you know, if you're looking in, you know, how do I do a startup without dropping tons of money? And oh my gosh, I'm just a, you know, Joe Schmo. Um, it's a great book to get you motivated and kind of give you a different uh, you know, view on how you can approach entrepreneurship. And it was one of the books I read after my failure and, you know, it's kind of, I don't know if I'm paraphrasing, but basically, you know, fail fast, fail hard and pivot and iterate. And when you don't have all the resources, it's amazing on how effective that is. So good book to, to pick up. Bruce, next. I understand you have something for our listeners today. The thing I've been saying, you know, for entrepreneurship, if you're looking to get into it, you know, embrace the suck is the, the phrase I like to use. It's not going to be fun. It's a lot of, you know, entrepreneurship is just a lot of work and it's not fun work. It's, you know, reading contracts reading legalese and all this crazy stuff and, you know, just push through it, you know, embrace it, learn it, you know, learn to like it. And you'll be surprised after, you know, six months, year, you're like, oh, I know how to read contracts. I know how to write contracts. I know how to, you know, do all this stuff that I would have been extremely intimidated or maybe even not even done. Push yourself through and chase your dreams. Be surprised on what happens. Yes. It's amazing how much stuff you learn doing this process. So Bruce, can you tell our listeners your social media contacts in case they want to reach out to you for either yourself or your company or your companies as they are? So our company is just HYXUS on Instagram and Facebook. And I don't think we have a Twitter, but we're on Insta and Facebook and you can go to our website, heisis.com. And then myself, it's, I have an Instagram, it's Sir Bruce with two R's, so S-I-R-B-R-U-C-E. Feel free to hit me up on there. And then my Facebook's for myself, so don't touch me on that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm on Facebook as well, Bruce Bjorklund, but apparently there's a million of us, so good luck finding me. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn with Bruce Bjorklund, but I'm the only nerd, so not, not as hard to find. Bruce, we're coming to the end of our talk. Can you provide our listeners any last-minute words of wisdom or, or advice? Don't quit. You know, Quitting lasts forever. If you're chasing a dream, just push a little bit harder. You, you might be surprised on... You know, my, One of my mentors, my favorite phrase he's ever said is, when you're on a hike... 
and you're kind of walking up to a bunch of bushes and stuff and you're freaking out because you can't find a path, you just take a deep breath and maybe walk a little to the left, walk a little right. You might find a little path through that obstacle instead of quitting and turning around and, you know, walking the 10 miles back. So yeah, don't quit. That's also great advice if you're doing the Army Land Air course. Yes, it is. <laughs> I've actually, uh, I had that happen to me once. I couldn't find that last point for the life of me. <laughs> yeah. Bruce, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy yeah. guy. You got a lot going on and you, you gave us a lot of valuable advice today. Yeah, my pleasure. And it was great to be a part of your podcast. To our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Kavnis HR. For more exclusive content, as well as your free copy of HR Laws, be sure to visit KavnisHR.com or connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook at Kavnis HR. Thanks again, and be great every day.